Good morning again. Reading to you from the letter to the Philippians. Um, in chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter. This is the halfway point. After we've gotten through half the book, we do this one, we finish the other half. Before Christmas, too. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for their, his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ risking his life to make up for the health you could not give me. Father God, teach us from your word, we pray. Amen. One of my favorite songs is Lean On Me. Do you know the song? No. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. And then it gets into the chorus, lean on me. When you're not strong. I love that song. If I, if I had been a bit more prepared, I would have played it instead of making you listen to that. But it's a song that warns us that hard times are coming. But it also promises that when times are hard, we will have someone to help us. Somebody to lean on. I hope that we can all think of people in our lives that we have leaned on in hard times. It is inevitable that we all at some time in our lives need the help of others. This is a church that helps others so well and that's fantastic. But you need to hear me say that all of us at some time need help ourselves. We all need somebody to lean on. And the Apostle Paul, just like us, needed people to lean on. There's two reasons why he's wrote this letter. He wants to let them know how he's doing, but he also wants to address the issue of petty squabbling that was threatening to divide their church. Now that he's gotten through these things, he takes a few minutes to share with his readers his appreciation for two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, 
who have been very close to him throughout his difficulties in prison. These are people that he has had to lean on very much. It's good to see Paul doing this. We're tempted to think of him as, you know, the superhuman Christian that needed help from no one. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Paul was very open with people about his weaknesses and his needs. He makes a point here of thanking and praising two very special people. Timothy, his closest protege, and Epaphroditus, a member of the Philippian church that that brought to Paul the gift that he's thankful for at the beginning and end of the letter. Both of these men are the type of Christian that Paul has been calling the Philippians and, and us to be. But now, just before we get deeper, I want to point out that on many occasions, Paul takes the time to recognize the contributions of the women who share in the work of the gospel with him as well. We have Lydia, whose household was the core of the Philippian church. We've got Priscilla, who together with her husband Aquila, helped mold Paul into being a missionary of the gospel. We've got Timothy's mother and his grandmother who raised Timothy up to be a strong young Christian despite his father not even being a believer. In this particular passage, Paul is speaking of two men, but that's not ever going to foreshadow or overshadow the fact that he saw women as partners in the gospel work and people he could lean on as well. He first speaks about Timothy, the young man in whom Paul has invested many hours of training to be a servant of Christ. (coughs) Timothy is pretty much the closest thing to a cellmate that that Paul has. He's named as a co-author in this letter. Indeed, he actually is the one writing most of the time the letter. Paul's dictating to Timothy, who's writing it down and other letters as well that Paul has written from prison. It's doubtful that Timothy himself is under detention. His name is never referenced in any charges, and he also speaks, Paul speaks of sending Timothy to the Philippians. Well, he couldn't have sent him anywhere if Timothy was a prisoner too. Paul and Timothy go pretty far back. In Acts 16, we read that Timothy, as a teenager joins up with Paul and Silas on their missionary journey back in 49 to 52 AD that starts in the city of Lystra. He was with Paul the first time they came to Philippi, just a few months after he's left home. And his introduction to mission work was pretty intense. In a few short weeks in Philippi, Paul and Silas with Timothy and company managed to confront a sorceress and cast out her demon, provoke a small riot, receive a beating in the public square because they provoked said riot, get themselves jailed, be visited by an angel that opens all the prison doors, bring the jailer and his family to faith, confront the city officials over the fairness of their beating, and finally be escorted out of the city by Roman soldiers with a 
request to leave the city once and for all. That's quite the few weeks of mission work. Timothy is present for all of this, but it looks like he escapes the more brutal episodes and, and, and is able to remain behind with the newborn church in Philippi. His name comes up more and more as he matures, and by the time Paul is writing to the various churches from his prison cell, Timothy is considered a full partner in ministry. Now, Paul's purpose in sending Timothy to Philippi is to get an update from him before he leaves Rome to join them. Notice how in verse 19 he said, that I also may be cheered when I hear good news about you. This requires Timothy to travel to Philippi, take stock of the situation, and then either travel back to Rome or, or send a message to Paul. And remember, this is first century Rome. They didn't have fiber optic cables. They had the Via Ignatia, the famous Roman road. Travel was a little slower than it is today. His journey would take about 400 miles of land travel and at least one sea voyage. Now we can take care of that in a long day's drive, except for the sea voyage part. That gets a little dicey in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. But Timothy would have been traveling for weeks. It's evident from Paul's words in our passage that Timothy has a deep affection for the Philippians, and he wants to do all of this. Verse 20 tells us that Tim sincerely cares about the Philippians. This no doubt arises from his experiences there years ago. We all develop an attachment to places where powerful events have shaped our lives. I compare Timothy's feelings to the time I spent at Lake of the Trees Bible Camp in Hundred Mile House. I know we got Nest Lake here, you know, represent, that's fine. But I'm a Lake of the Trees kind of product. I worked there as a counselor soon after becoming a Christian. And to this day, I remember that spot as if I was there yesterday, back when they had a generator instead of actual hydro, back when our bathrooms were holes dug in the ground with little shacks over them instead of the modern sewage system they have today. And our hall was hand-built by various people who brought in various products at various times. And when you looked at the hall, you knew it was built in stages. It's a beautiful place now. All that stuff is gone and it's brand spanking new, everything else. But I remember that place because God did powerful things in my life while I was there. Paul did powerful things in Timothy's life when he was at Philippi. And that must keep that church very prominent in his heart. The next two verses show that he's got a special connection with the church. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 
Paul's taking a moment to reassure his readers that Timothy is one of the people who really cares for them as a church. You have to remember that earlier in the letter, Paul's mentioned that some people were preaching the gospel for selfish reasons, but like attracting attention to themselves. Paul wants the church to know that Timothy isn't one of those guys. So he uses this language to show that Timothy's interest in coming is pure and that he can be trusted. He also wants to set Timothy apart from the false teachers by emphasizing his sincerity. He then vouches for Timothy as a father would vouch for his own son. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. This confirms both Timothy's readiness for the task and Paul's love for this special person. He's not just ready for the task because Paul says so. He's proven himself over 10 years of active ministry. His training in the gospel is like the son of a tradesman growing up. In Paul's day, the sons would work with their fathers in the shops or fields, learning every nuance of their father's trade. By the time they reached adulthood, adulthood, they were masters of their father's craft. So sending Timothy would be like sending an extension of himself. And Paul was looking forward to doing that as soon as possible. There's just one thing that he's waiting for. Verses 23 and 4, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul's holding Timothy back until he's certain of how his trial goes. He's sure that he'll be set free, but the trial is still pending, and the Philippians need to know how that turns out. So Paul is holding on to this young, bright, honest, and caring servant of the gospel until he at least knows what the immediate future holds for him. There is another man in this passage that Paul is ready to send back to the Philippian church now. The other half of the passage talks about Epaphroditus. I won't make you say that name five times quickly or anything else. But this is the other man. This is the man who had delivers, who ends up delivering this letter to the Philippian church. Verse 25, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Who is this man, mentioned only here in the entire New Testament? We don't know a lot more than the verse tells us. He's the messenger of the Philippians that they sent to bring Paul support and the latest news. I think it's fair to conclude he's a member of the Philippian church, especially when you read the rest of the paragraph. We don't know a lot about him, but obviously Paul speaks highly of him and his work. He relates him to a military figure fighting for a worthy cause. 
This makes it possible that he's a retired soldier, but that is speculation. What's more important to know is that Paul considers him a partner in ministry. His arrival with support and encouragement has enabled Paul to remain alive and well and preaching the gospel. Paul considers him a true brother. There is no question he's played an important part in what has been accomplished for the sake of the gospel. But his work, the work was not without a price. We see in the next verses that he suffered greatly while he was with Paul. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus took gravely ill while he was with Paul. He recovered, thankful that he must have been healthy for some time. I say this because if you look at the order of events, you'll see that News of him being ill has already made it back to the Philippians. Their reaction has made it back to Paul. And that's what he's addressing here in verse 26. And Paul is now prepared to send him back to Philippi so that they can see he's healthy again. The worry of the Philippians is normal. They don't know yet that he's healthy, that he's recovered. Because when people took sick... In those days, death stared them right in the face. But look at Epaphroditus' reaction. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. He's just come through a life-threatening disease. And he's worked up because the Philippians are worried about him. He must have had a real heart for those people. And that's why Paul, after expressing his relief that God spared him the loss of his newfound brother in Christ, decides that he would be the best person to deliver this letter to the Philippians. The rest of the passage reads, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. What a surprise that they're in for when he shows up with this latest word from Paul. They'd be delighted to see their brother in good health. He's walked to the brink of death for the sake of the gospel, but God's brought him back and put him to good work. He's fully deserving of any good reception the Philippians can muster. Paul's last words may come off a bit judgmental. He says, to make up for the help you could not give me. But that's reading it in a way that it's just not meant to be heard. It's just a statement of fact. The whole Philippian church wasn't able to deliver the letter. They weren't going to get in a caravan and everything else and make the trip and just to drop stuff off for Paul. They had to send someone to do it. And it was Epaphroditus that took up the challenge, almost paying with his life 
for doing it. That's earned him a special place in Paul's heart. And Paul is saying it should earn him, Epaphrodites, a special place in their heart as well. Now, what does all of this mean to us today? Well, I put a bit of emphasis on one point in the beginning. We all need someone to lean on. Paul has shared with us about two of the people that he leans on in times of need. And there were many more. The church is not meant to be filled with lone rangers and superheroes. We are a family of believers that need to support and strengthen each other's. Leaders and innovators will stand out, but that doesn't mean they're meant to work alone. Every church should be working on building relationships amongst the members and friends that support and encourage each other. We also see from this passage that the heroes are real people. They get sick. They're young. They're certainly not untouchables. Even Paul, the super apostle Paul, is forthcoming with his needs to the Philippian church. Many stories paint their heroes in lights which makes them a minor god. But these were real guys with real weaknesses. And God uses them to do incredible things. We're just like them. We come to God full of quirks full of faults and sin. God uses us anyway, showing His great strength through and over and despite our weaknesses. We also see their willingness to serve God whenever and wherever. Timothy is willing to sit around with Paul in Rome despite being a young and probably adventurous man. Epaphrodites is willing to brave the journey back to Philippi, if only to deliver this letter to the Philippians. I get nervous now about driving to Saskatoon in the winter. Epaphrodites is willing to walk 400 miles and jump on a boat to deliver a letter. Both of these show a willingness to be used of God in ways they may or may not have expected. It's easy to serve God when we do it on our own terms. But these guys are opening themselves up to what is beyond that. They're putting the needs of Paul and the Philippians ahead of their own. What they do takes all of they have. Everything is on hold in their lives so they can serve God. We're busy people. And we live in a world that doesn't give us much room for letting up. But if we were to make some changes that would allow God more time to work in our lives and with our lives, what would come of it? These men made room and we witnessed the evidence of their labor. Men and women 2,000 years ago made room and the world changed forever. What can happen if we make room. There's only one way to find out. If we give God some more room to work in our lives, we'll see what happens. Lean on Him. 
and find out how strong he is. Let's pray. God in heaven, help us to lean on you. Help us to look to the examples we see here, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and take to heart their willingness to give their lives to you. What do we have to give? Where can we make room? And where do we need to lean on you? Help us to be honest with ourselves and answer those questions with you and look to you for the support you so willingly and ably give. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.